Definitions of masculinity. I got nothing left. All I know is masculinity is a prison. <laughs> and welcome to the Down in Front podcast. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> so excited to be here tonight. I am your host for the evening, Mr. Mocha Mike. Um, and I'm here with some very beautiful people. Uh, gathered around to talk a little bit to you guys about some Marvel TV shows from 2017. Uh, there were a lot of shows that came out th- last year, um, and a lot that we didn't get a chance to do full episodes on. There were just a lot of other good movies and TV shows that got in the way. Uh, so we thought we'd compile some of the best ones uh, from the year and give you guys a quick rundown of our thoughts on it. Before we get into that, though, let's go around the table and introduce everyone who's here. Um, starting with Let's see, arguably one of the more handsome gentlemen in this place. You all know him as the Mouth of the South. I know him lovingly as Thick Daddy Bryland. Give it up for uh, Bryland. <laughs> how's it going, buddy? Hey, how's it going this evening? Doing well. What's uh, what, what you drinking? What you been watching? Uh, what I'm drinking right now is a Venti Americano from Starbucks because I am American. And so I think it fits. It's really <laughs> good. It's really good coffee. Uh, what I watched recently is I watched a movie on Amazon Prime that was, um, if I had watched this last year, it would probably be the absolute worst movie of last year, which is <laughs> The Circle. And The oh. Circle stars Emma Watson and Tom Hanks. And it's about like a high-tech company and this person that gets involved in this high-tech company and all these little shadowy... It's bullshit is what it is and uh it's funny because a lot of my friends recommended to me because of um me working for a tech company in a certain like on the campus right now they're like you need to watch this you need to watch this and i watched it i was like it's so bad how they get everything wrong about not only corporate culture but the message they're trying to deliver is kind of (laughs) bad as well where it's like um it's wrong for old rich people to spy on you, but it's okay for the young people to spy on you. Mm. Go Sounds like a standard. And it's absolutely the worst performance Tom Hanks has given in a movie I've ever seen. It's yeah, so, so bad you should check it out. It's, it's interesting that you say that because that movie was probably the single most uninspiring trailer I saw of last year. Like, if you had, if when I read on paper Tom Hanks and Emma Watson, I was like, oh, hell yeah, this has to be good no matter what, or at least interesting no matter what it's about. And then I saw the trailer and I'm like, this seems super boring. Why would I spend money to see this? Yeah. And John Boyega is in it for five minutes for nobody knows what. What? I thought, I thought it was, wasn't it Tom Hanks is like barely in it? Or was it Emma Watson's barely in it? Uh, all of them are barely in it. I really? I thought they like build one of them as like it was like Angelina Jolie is in Sky Captain of Tomorrow, where she was in all of like the promotional art, but then wasn't in it at all. Like the trailer showed literally all of her scenes. <laughs> yeah, primarily, I mean, it's Emma Watson that's in the movie for the most part, and then Tom Hanks is yeah, barely there. Mm, that's a shame. 
Well, I'm glad you you uh, sacrificed your two hours to watch us that we don't have to. And uh, we're glad to have you on the show, Bryland. <laughs> Thank you. To his immediate left, touching his beard, which is shorter than usual, but it makes him look sharper than usual, um, is the beauty and the beast of Down in Front Podcast, Mr. Mike Blewett. Yeah, I put a whetstone on it. It was just a, a wet stone. It's this modern age beauty technique I'm trying out. Hasn't worked. Oh, yeah. I'm still ugly. Um, the Gattaca technique. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm drinking uh, some of this Sierra Nevada IPA pack, which has been fantastic. I'm not going to lie. A lot of IPAs, good strong beer, uh, varied taste. This particular one is a coffee uh, IPA, which is nice. Give me a little bit of a kick. Um... What I've been watching, uh, nothing really. I, I honestly, I like half watched all of the shows we're about to talk about in the fall when they <laughs> came out. And then we've been talking about doing this episode for like four months. And then about a week ago, I was like, well, you have about six shows that you need to marathon. Do it now. And so I've just been watching all of these shows. It's been my about every, a week ago. Yep. It's been every waking minute. It's just been like. <laughs> One of these four shows we're about to talk about, five shows. Awesome. Well, we commend your uh, your bravery in watching all of these shows, including one of them that may not have been noticeably worse than the others, but we'll get into that later. That, that one I finished first, and I fit, yeah, that one I finished first, which is pathetic, but... <laughs> get the nasty all the way first. Awesome. And uh, right above Mr. Blewett in this uh, Brady Bunch grid that we've got going on on Skype right now, um, you'll know him as the usual host of the Down and Front podcast. We know him as our podcast official ambassador to the nation of Wakanda. Mr. Warren Jackson, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. It's going well. How's it going? <laughs> wow, you just like went from Russian spy to Idris Elba in a matter of seconds. Because <laughs> uh, like English. <laughs> it was my uh, audition for Ryan Coogler for uh, not casting me in that movie. Um, really, I'm still pretty hurt about that. But, you know, nice. it's okay. It's okay. Honestly, great to be here. Would you be known as the Wakanda Mafia? The Wakanda Mafia. Based maybe. on your, your sports allegiance? Yeah, maybe. I'll, that, was a, that was a stretch there. That was a, that was a bit of a stretch, boy. But you know, yeah, hey, I'm going. I'm going for the Olympics. You know, so you gotta you gotta stretch it out a little bit. Fair enough. Fair enough. Stretch those games. Uh, I'm well. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on another show. Uh, as I try to always be on there. I am uh, currently sipping on a Harpoon IPA they have on tap here. They had on keg. I was like, you know what? I'll drink that. Better than water and better than black tea. Uh, and what I've been watching, I actually went, I was kind of excited. So thank you for everybody for our Twitter um, poll. So I posted a Twitter poll yesterday and it was a bit neck and neck. I thought for sure I was going to get burned to go watch. Um, oh man, what was that other movie that was out there? It was the 15 to 17 to Paris um, early man. And the other one that was leading for a moment was. Wasn't it Black Panther for a third time? <laughs> no, black, I, didn't get any, I didn't get any votes. I was kind of bummed. Uh, but I think uh, it was another just really bad looking movie besides the uh, Fifty Shades of Freed. Uh, oh. there, there wasn't a lot of good uh, movies out this week, which is kind of a bummer, but it also kind of makes sense. But I was excited to go and watch. Oh, good. So it was only two. Oh, Peter Rabbit. That's right. Uh, uh, yeah. I think uh, Abbott and uh, a few people said they were going to go and post and uh, vote for Peter Rabbit. So I'm glad I did watch that. But I went to go see Early Man. Um, it was one of the newest uh, films from the uh, Clay, Clay, uh, like Clay Animation. Ardman. Claymation. Ar- 
Claymation, thank you. Chuck and Ardman. Uh, so if you've seen like the Wallace and Gromit, I absolutely, absolutely like, love. I love this um, sort of style. Uh, I just love anything to do with kind of animation, so I went for it. Uh, it's a PG-rated movie, and I went to go see a 9 p.m. showing, and there was like eight or nine kids in the showing. So I thought that was kind of weird that it was pretty late, and they still were up in an hour and a half, so they got out at like around 10.45. They were hitting the juice boxes hard. Hitting those juice boxes hard. Uh, but the movie was super fun. Uh, I mean, I, it, it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Uh, the voices in the movie was my, uh, Macy Williams, who plays in Game of Thrones. Um, and uh, you have Eddie Redmayne, which I didn't even realize he was in this movie, but I pointed his voice out immediately. Uh, it was super cute. It's, he does a great, he does have a great, like a, like a younger person voice. So it was very cute. Could you understand um, what he was saying in this? Movie? I could. Yeah, he didn't do any whispering or any. Of, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it was really cool. Very cute movie. I just love the fact that it was a uh, everybody had like a, a British accent, and they just literally would just beating you overhead with tons of puns in the actual um, movie. But apparently, this movie is about soccer or football. Who knew? I did not know. I was very confused <laughs> going into this movie. I was like, "Wait, what? Is that what they did?" See, it's funny. When you posted that on Twitter, I thought you were talking about that movie with Jack Black and Michael Sarah that came out four <laughs> oh, years ago. I thought they was had a, like a, was it like year one? Yeah, yeah year the, one. Oh yeah, I thought they had a theatrical re-release of that movie because you know <laughs> that needed to happen again. Oh my god! No, uh, this one was fun. So definitely go check it out. It's in theaters right now. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're like this. This next weekend is going to be a big launch for a bunch of movies. So. If you have the time, if you have kids, especially kind of younger kids, this will definitely keep them engaged and involved for an hour and a half for you to take a nap somewhere. Um, so definitely go check it out. That's called Early Man. Awesome. Uh, as for myself, what I've been watching recently, uh, I spent today binging through a lot of a show called Ruby. Um, if it doesn't sound familiar, it's a series of what were originally web shorts made by um, this developer named or film producer named Monty Ohm. Um, for some of the nerds in the audience, you may recognize that name from the old like Halo vs. Metroid videos. He used to t make um, take models from video games that we all know and loved, and had them recreate like really epic action scenes. Uh, so I was a big fan of him when I was younger. And this show came out um, made by the Roost people at Rooster Teeth who did Red vs. Blue. It's really cool. It's an animated show um, with a lot of hotline action and some really really lovable characters about um, these four kids that are at a battle school training them to be sold like. Ex elite soldiers in it uh in their in their society um but it's been really fun to watch each episode is like five to ten minutes long and it's on crunchyroll as well as youtube so definitely check that out if you like and as for what i'm drinking found myself a new brooklyn uh new brooklyn brewery beer that i hadn't seen yet it's a sour called bel-air sour um i've been on a bit of a sour kick lately i'm a big fan of sour and tart beers and this one isn't too bad it's it's definitely not the cream of the crop in terms of craft sour beers but um, it's solid, and I love the color scheme on it. It's like a millennial pink and seafoam green deal going on here. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been drinking, what I've been watching. But without further ado, you're all here for one specific reason, and that's to hear us talk about some of the great Marvel TV shows that have come out in 2017. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Um, in case you haven't watched these five shows, you should probably go ahead and binge through them and take about 72 hours of straight binging and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. Which of those five uh, shows are they? Well, they are Marvel's Runaways, The Gifted, Marvel's Inhumans, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, and Netflix's The Punisher. 
So uh, go ahead and take a look at those shows, or at least read a Wikipedia synopsis, and then join us after this break. for uh for sticking with us here um and we're gonna go ahead and jump right into our conversations uh about these various tv shows starting with marvel's runaways this is a show that came out on hulu um it was released in this way that i've seen hulu doing lately where they released the first three episodes in one big drop and then revealed the episodes a week at a time as they go by um but i feel like uh for a new marvel show that wasn't netflix or abc um there are a lot of interesting thoughts that go along with, with it. But first of all, I want to hear some of your thoughts, Mike Blewett, and what you thought about the show. So first of all, uh, coolest thing that I noticed from this was um, one of the parents, I think it was either Carolina's or uh, it was Victor Stan. I think it was Carolina's mom had the harmonic uh, series as a theme music. And so it's this very... It's based on math. Like the the harmonic series is literally the uh, when you play one note, how each term or each like what's called harmonic vibrates above it. And so I thought that was really cool with the whole extraterrestrial thing and like string theory and how how everything vibrates with uh, towards you know like in certain certain frequencies. Um, part of the harmonic series is the fact that certain of notes sound out of tune compared to how we normally perceive them, where they literally are like slightly flat or sharp than how well we normally define them in scales. So if you listen to pop music, the certain extensions on the, the like the turn, like the, the chords you'd hear there would not sound right with what you hear in that particular like series. And okay. it's, it's, I forget which exact theme it was. I think it was Carolina's mother. And you can hear it. You can hear certain notes are like out of tune to the Western ear, but are this very fundamentally based. It's like the golden ratio of music where like it's freaking everywhere, but you just have to be like kind of listening for it. And I've never heard that in like any sort of themes before. Um, I thought it was cool. That's it. There's literally nothing good or bad about it. I just have never heard that in, in like. Okay, well, it's interesting that you bring that up, though, or at the very least that they had this musical, like this, this bit of music that you hadn't heard in other things before. Um, because one of the things that really surprised me about this show was how much they actually tried. Um, like, I, like going right? into this show, I assumed it was going to be bad. I didn't think it was going to be a good show. I was hoping for the best, but it was one of Marvel's first shows outside of Netflix and ABC. It was about, it's a show about like younger kids. So I figured a lot of it would be a little saccharine or maybe a little um, like toned down the like softened edges to make it more palatable. But, you know, the show went in from its special effects to the music to All the. look great. Yeah, to the seriousness of the, of the material that they covered. Like they actually tried in this show and it came out way better than I thought it was going to be. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's based on one of the best, I mean, like a great comic book series, too. Like, Brian K. Vaughn's no slouch when it comes to creating awesome stories. Yeah. And so, I don't know what kind of kept me away from it. I guess it was just, like, a lot of stuff to watch. But yeah. also, at the same time, I thought it was going to be, like, a tween version of CW. And I was like, do I really exactly. want to get invested in something like that? So uh, even though, like, I'm actually kind of interested to watch the ABC Family version of Cloak and Dagger when it comes out. Yeah. Which is pretty yeah. cool. So there was so, definitely um, some tween moments on it. But, like, I'd say for the most part, the subject matter was, like, heavy enough. And I think it, it went really well between – like, they had two – very good storylines operating between the kids and the parents. Um, I, for one, didn't know that this... I thought it was a miniseries that was going to wrap up after one season. And I will say this, I'm genuinely excited to see what comes next. There was several huge cliffhangers that happened at the end of the show that legitimately, like, I want to find the answers to. Um, I would say this is one detriment. Uh, they needed to involve... Like, there's no difference between this show and The Gifted. Uh, the Gifted mm. operates outside of the MCU, and for lack of a better term, The Runaways operated outside of the MCU. And, and we're going to bring this up again with The Punisher, where, like, at least The Defenders and the rest of the Netflix shows, and certainly Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they bring up other things that happen... Um, in the Marvel, the extended Marvel universe, whereas Runaways, like, literally all I would have needed, there's this character, Victor Stein, who is, like, the head scientist in, like, the, the group. And so, Victor Stein is touted as, like, one of the smartest men on, in the globe. Um, and all I could use when he has a moment of, like, not be, he has a couple moments where he can't figure out how to do something. And he has these, like, moments of weakness, which I thought were great, where they really played out, like, the characters worked really well together, and which I don't know if it's the original writing versus the writing on the TV show, but whatever. All I could have used was one moment of either the son or the wife saying, Tony Stark could do this, why can't you? Like, that's, that's yeah. literally it. That's the only thing I could have used to really bring it together is this is part of the MCU rather than some random other show that was just about teenagers with superpowers. There's little yeah. moments like that really bring it together that they, they just didn't do. Don't yeah. I wish they in a cave with a bunch <laughs> of scraps. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's all, that's all I could. And, and it doesn't take much. It's one throwaway line that you can immediately move on past but it still grounds you in that universe. Yeah, that's a really good point, um, Blewett. I almost initially wanted to give them this the slack of saying, oh, well, at least they're, they're based on the West Coast, and so maybe they're not as like caught up with all the Avengers content going on the East Coast. But the, the Iron Man movies all take place in California. Tony, before he moves to Avengers Towers, based in, in California. Um, and the fact that Victor Scott Stein is, or Skyn is a, like, a tech wonderkind, they should have brought up at some point just even like the reference of the knowledge of Tony Stark because cool. you're right, his character is entirely based on his ego of being super smart and an engineer. Um, and they never once even like glimpsed towards anything like related to Tony. If, if you want something that's more closely related, uh, uh, certain uh, Pym is based out of San Francisco, which is the tech capital of the world right now. That's true. You know, and, and that was a more recent movie. And, you know, you don't have to say like, oh, smart as, you know, Hank Pym, but like, yeah, there's, and there's Victor, a lot. Of, yeah, sorry, go ahead. 
And Victor's ego is a major driving point of his character and the decisions he makes and how he acts in certain situations. So it is insane to me that um, that he wouldn't at any point, even at the very least, like give us something where someone else mentions Tony Stark and he tells them, like, don't say that name in front of me or like gets offended, like angry by it. Because uh, it just seemed like it would be natural for someone like like him. Yeah. First season, I thought was very good. Um, excited to see where it goes, though. I think the second season will be better. Yeah. Brian, I think you nailed it on the head, at least with my fears for this show going into it, was that I assumed it was going to be some sort of CW, like, teen bopper show. Um, and it wasn't. Uh, I mean, it was to an extent in certain ways. Like, it, it is a show ultimately about teenagers, like like wealthy, affluent California teenagers. Um, but, you know, the first episode starts with a character, like, very nearly getting date raped. Um, another, There's another scene where, like, a dude gets shot through the chest by one of the kids. And it's not something that happens off screen. It just it happens straight up, you know. Um, there was that weird cosmic hand job that uh, that that uh, Carolina's oh, yeah. mom that Carolina's mom gives the corpse guy who's laying in his bed. There's a lot of weird stuff that went on in that show, but um, but I was surprised that they actually they actually tried talking about some serious subject matter. Um, the special effects were also really good too. Um, a lot of the special effects were CG, but one thing that stood out to me that made my day when I saw it for the first time is um, there's a character in the show who has a pet Velociraptor. Um, the Velociraptor was genetically engineered by her. No, by no explanation her needed on that. Just, yeah, just. <laughs> it's just a thing. Her parents are are botanists, and also on the side, they try to revive extinct species. Um, but this Velociraptor, I assume going into it, I knew the Velociraptor would be part of the show because of the comics, and I assumed it would be really shitty CG. And I was braced for it to be the worst part of the show. And when they first introduce it, they use practical effects. It looks like one of the one of the Velociraptors from the original Jurassic Park movie, which anyone who has seen that movie lately knows that it keeps up because of the practical effects. And it looked fantastic. You know, when the actor is touching the face of the Velociraptor and petting it, like it's the person is actually touching a prop. And it really, really made a huge difference in making that completely unbelievable character way more believable. Um, the only time I switched to CG was for wide shots where it showed the whole body. But otherwise, it was an actual animatronic and it looked great. Um, and yeah, it was just really cool. Like you said, Blue, it the story had a lot of interesting plot points. It had a lot of interesting cliffhangers, not just at the end of the show too, but you know, in early on the show, they bring up a plot point that um, that the, that one of the kids is trying to send messages back to his family from the future, and it's a future where San Francisco, where uh, the, where I think they're in California. I don't know where yeah. in California. Maybe it was L.A. L.A. Well, yeah. they're not in L.A., but yeah, he said no, they're in L.A. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. They're in um, what's that affluent neighborhood? No, they're not in Hollywood. They're in yeah, uh, where? Silicon Valley. No. no. Regardless, regardless, one of the ki- main characters from the show, one of the kids, um, appears on a television set that the dad has been tinkering with, trying to get images of the future. He thinks it's not working, and when he walks out of the room, it comes to life, and it's one of the characters, but older, with like facial hair and glasses to show the passage of time and he's warning his actual age. (laughs) Yeah. He's like a 30 year old man. I'm sure. Um, but he's like, he's like saying, Hey, whatever you do, don't grab the gloves. Like, listen to me, dad, whatever you do. And then it cuts away and you see a vision of LA crumbling. And later on that becomes a plot point. Like it's a very big turning point in the series when his father picks up these gloves and in a fit of drunken rage, tries to murder his own son, um, out of, out of anger. 
And so it's, and that's something that doesn't get resolved entirely because the don't pick up the gloves part gets resolved. But we still also know that at some point in the future, LA is going to crumble because of what they're doing. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it was it was really really interesting to see these characters um, or these story points portrayed, and the actors that they picked to cast them all, like they all looked great. Every one of them looked exactly like the characters from the comics. It was remarkable. Um, so yeah, it was really cool to see. And as someone who reads a lot of Marvel comics, um, I haven't read Runaways yet. And I am definitely going to be pulling that up on my Marvel Unlimited account because it was just really interesting. And I want to see where it goes. Yeah, I've read a couple of the comics and the kids are really cool. What turned me off about it is that their parents are like the Z-list of Marvel villains. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're basically villains that were introduced to make this series. And well, I, unless, except for like, I think Grim Reaper might be, I think was one of them at one time. And he's like a very third rate villain as well. So I will say this, that the TV show does, does do a good job of redemption on the, like the, the parents. And I think that, the parents are somewhat rootable in some cases, which makes them almost not villains. And I think they, they like kind of had to do that as some sort of redemption. Well, that surprised me about the show. I thought they were just going to have the show be about the kids and paint the parents in the worst possible light they could. And what we got was, as you had mentioned earlier, two very distinct storylines running parallel where they were showing us a lot of narrative elements just about the parents and what their conversations are like and like them figuring out what the kids do and don't know and how they're reacting. And you get to see them make really tough decisions as to whether or not the illicit activities, the secret activities that they're acting in as members of this organization called Pride, which a lot of many, several of them think is has been formed to save the world. Um when that starts to clash with protecting their children, they really have to weigh what it means to take care of your children versus what it means to follow what they think is the Mm. right thing to do to save the world. Um, And so it creates this really interesting dynamic that I wasn't expecting and adds a lot of complexity to the show. No doubt. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely think people should check it out if you haven't yet. I think it's only like 10 episodes long. Um, Super bingeable. Super bingeable. Yeah, and also the theme music is is super like haunting and creepy. The yeah. the opening music was yeah. just they they did a lot of things. They took a lot of risk with this show. I feel like, and it, it paid off. Yeah, awesome. Well, speaking of a show that took a lot of risks, um, that also surprised me. Uh, we can jump right into Fox's The Gifted. Um, the Gifted is a show based in the X Men universe since it's owned by Fox, and it takes place at some point. They don't really tell us exactly when. However, the X-Men are no longer around. Neither the X-Men or the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Um, we don't know why. It's possible that it's linked to the movie Logan in that sense, because we know that in the movie Logan, um, we've already seen the disappearance of the X-Men and a lot of other villains from the world. Um, but it follows a family with two teenage children who are both mutants, uh, secret mutants, until uh, circumstance forces them to reveal themselves. And the father who was working actively with the government to hunt down and create legislation, anti-mutant legislation, um, has to suddenly deal with the knowledge that his children are mutants and how that changes his outlook on the world when the world is hates and, and is hunting mutants actively. Um, I was really surprised by this show. I didn't expect anything of it. Watching the trailers going into it, I thought it was just about this, like, this Aryan family that were 
that were going to be made up characters just for the sake of of having a, having a show about them, and I really didn't think there were going to be any connect, like meaningful connections to the actual Marvel characters. And this show slapped me in the face to prove I was wrong. Episode after episode, it is filled with deep cuts for X Men fans. Um, tons of of different characters are referenced and displayed really faithfully. Um, they make a lot of references to different groups within the X-Men universe from the purifiers to the hellfire club. Um, it was just filled the Morlocks. It was just absolutely filled with references to the X-Men universe. And I was really surprised at it. Um, and even the main characters themselves wound up being characters from the X-Men comics that have a pretty intense history. Um, and it was great. And it was great because it really stuck to the tried and true story of the X-Men, which is, Mutants are a second class of, 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 of people in the world, and a lot of people are racist, <laughs> and they treat them as such and hunt them like animals. Um, so it kind of felt like we were back watching the old X-Men cartoon shows from the 90s, a lot of anti-mutant resentment, a lot of themes about what it means to take the higher road when people don't like you, like not only don't like you, but want to see you dead just for, for how you were born. And even the main characters wind up being... Um, the Von Strucker family, who are related to Baron Von Strucker from the comics. Um, in the comics, Baron Von Strucker's grandchildren were uh, a pair of mutants who went by the name Fenris together, who had like incredible destructive potential when they held hands or when they touched each other. And that's who the two, the two main characters in this show wind up being. They wind up being Fenris went together, and one has the ability to push things apart, and the other one has the ability to push pull things together. And when they hold hands, they can like destroy large areas at once um and yeah fox went went out of its way to make this show look really good fantastic graphics cool dialogue a really thrilling story about people on the run it was awesome and really really surprised me that's a that's a cool show so i'm really looking forward to see they have the morlocks in it uh do they have the reavers in it as well the reavers aren't in it no but but i do think that this is supposed to be in the early years that lead up to logan and the Reavers are in Logan, so sort of. Um, the Purifiers were in it, though, which are these human zealots who are like the Billy Graham evangelical Christian people. Yeah. Who, They're kind of like the modern Friends of Humanity types, yeah. Yeah, like the Westboro Baptist Church, but just anti-mutants. Um, and they're pretty scary. You know, they Blink has a flashback to when she was on, like when she was like younger before she met the Mutant Underground and is on a date with some normal human guy. And he's like these like these dudes come out of out of nowhere with shotguns and and like vests on and surround her and it's so it's you get to see how quickly the people that are around her turn on her once they find out she's a mutant and it's it's just really good storytelling and made for some really dynamic characters so i'm super excited to see where the story goes um it even ends on an interesting note where a lot of the characters that you spent the season with working on the mutant underground give up on the notion of working peaceably with humans and split off to join the cuckoos that are trying to reform the Hellfire Club. Um, so it leaves in this awesome cliffhanger where the mutant underground is already down on its luck and they've already started to splinter off into other groups because some, some of the mutants have just had enough and they want to fight back. So it's, it's, it left off in a really cool place and I can't wait to see what they do at season two. Yeah. Um, let's take a break from talking about good shows and dive right into... <laughs> probably one of the most disappointing oh. things that happened to me in my entire life, which is the Inhumans Marvel TV show. Um, this show came out through ABC and I'm going to do my best to talk as little as possible about it because 
I will simply start spewing venom the moment I get a chance to. Um, <laughs> so why don't we start with Bryland on this one? What did you think about uh, Mar- Marbles and Humans? Yeah, so um, I uh, I watched the first two episodes, and if there's like a low bar for any type of Marvel property, this is pretty much it. Um, this, I mean, there's nothing right going on with this uh, show. Um, and the, it's like, I mean, first of all, like, let's look at Black Bolt. Black Bolt is one of my favorite comic book characters mm-hmm. just because of he has this amazing power. And if he uses it, like half a planet's going to get it destroyed. I mean, that's the immensity of his power. He is one of the most powerful beings in the universe. For those, they, for those listening at home who don't know, Black Bolt is the king of the Inhumans, and his ability is that his voice can create shockwaves of immense power, so much to the fact that a whisper can can crush a mountain. Um, so yeah. while he is a king, he is the silent king because he cannot vocalize in any sort of way whatsoever. Yeah, and like my dream comic book is to see a Black Bolt series where the artist is challenged to show sign language throughout the whole thing. And that's the way he communicates. I think that would be amazing. And why not use real sign language for the King of Inhumans instead of this fake stuff they bring up? And one moment you're seeing that when he does do a little hiccup or something, he evaporates his parents. And then the next time you see him like put it, like do a little grunt, he only blows up a cop car. This dude is, like you said, when he whispers, it's supposed to be Dragon Ball level, mountains being flattened, suns <laughs> being destroyed. This is the immensity of his power, and you do not show that. You totally get the character completely wrong. Plus, for some reason, stranding him on Earth and making him go shopping for clothes and being <laughs> caught by the cops. I mean, it's just terrible what they do with this character. And then the other character that's completely wasted is Medusa because they do this whole thing of like, Hey, we got a cheap ass TV show budget. Let's take away her power, which is her hair. And let's just shave her bald. And Uh she just has to talk and it just becomes drama and bullshit. (laughs) I cannot cannot believe they did that. I sat there. It was like, really Clippers is her, like arch nemesis right now is that what like you're telling she's like sitting there and like the local barber shop i'm all right i'm breaking my vow of silence all right i'm breaking my vow of silence because i'm too only plus to this show even though he's shitty cg is lockjaw because lockjaw is just naturally adorable and you love a big teleportating dog that slobbers everywhere yeah, he's just a massive, massive English bulldog who has the power to teleport. Um, this show was particularly offensive to me for a lot of reasons. I love the Inhumans. They're one of my favorite Marvel properties because they're so weird and strange and alien. This is a, like a group of individuals who were... The whole idea behind Inhumans is that the Kree came to Earth during the days of early man and messed with our genes in the hopes of creating an army of super soldiers that they could use for their intergalactic wars. Um, Fast forward to the future, the Inhumans have separated themselves from the human race and have actually taken themselves from Earth and put themselves in the blue area of the moon, um, which is an area of the moon that has actual oxygen. Um, 
which is another result of Cree tampering in the early days. And they create a secret society that stays separate from Earth. And they're weird and they're strange and they're vibrant. They look super different um, and their powers are insane. And like you said, Medusa has living hair. Every time you see her drawn in the panel, her hair is flowing and fills up the page. And it has super strong tensile strength. Like it's like steel. She fights with it. And she's the voice of, of Black Bolt. She is his queen. And she, because of their close relationship, can understand what he's saying when he doesn't talk. And she speaks for on his behalf. And the show missed out on that. They, like you said, they just went a really cheap cut. And in order to save budget, they shaved her head in the first episode, which takes away the most one of the most interesting factors of a character who's very important throughout Marvel history. Um, Black Bolt, uh, who was played by, An- by Anson Mount, you know, like... It he looks the part, but... He looks the part, but what's interesting... All right, so let me it's just so say... Stilted. Fuck Scott Buck forever, okay? The reason why this show is so bad is because it was... Cre- it was the showrunner was oh, Scott, Scott Buck. Scott Buck is the worst. He ruined Dexter. He ruined Iron Fist. He and now ruins he ruined the Inhumans. Ruined Inhumans. How does this guy get hired anywhere? I, I have no idea, but it needs to stop. Marvel, you need to kill him. <laughs> no, 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 no. Screw, screw Marvel. <laughs> just, just entertainment in general. Like, stop hiring this guy. Yeah, he needs to be sent to the mines. Um, Whatever you're paying him, down in front podcast will do for a hell of a lot cheaper and do it a hell of a lot better. I got so you. Better. The we first, can play you. The first two episodes, the first two episodes of that, of um, down in front of Inhumans were showed in IMAX. Right, they made a big marketing fuss about how they were recording it with IMAX cameras, and they actually showed it in theaters. And I can't tell you how angry I am that I went and sat in an IMAX theater. To watch the first two episodes of this shit, shit Scott Buck TV show, and it's just such a damn shame because these characters are super interesting in the comics, and it was originally supposed to be a movie, and during the whole, during the whole Marvel shakeup where Kevin Feige held his coup on Jeff Loeb and became like the head of Marvel Entertainment for the for film for, for films, this product went with Jeff Loeb to Marvel TV, and rather than just taking their time with it, figuring out a way to like make it to be really. Um, that's where I'm, I'm looking for true to the original content. He, he just rushed to get it out there. And like Anson Mount, as we mentioned earlier, I was reading earlier that in an, in an interview, they said that they never auditioned him because in their, their minds, oh, Black Bolt doesn't talk, so we don't need to audition anybody. We just need someone who looks like him, which is insane because the fact that he doesn't talk is imp- you need an actor who can do a really good job of portraying mm-hmm. that character's stoicness and his seriousness and his feelings without making noises and without doing weird karate chop sign language um but like but that was the problem like they didn't they didn't give the this show the care that it needed and it suffered violently for it so to be fair i heard that uh anson mount and sarinda swan who plays medusa came up with the sign language in that show entirely by themselves who allowed that Scott yeah. Buck. Well, yeah, but but I'll Scott. give him this. It's this show. It feels like Anson Mount and Ian Rowan, who plays uh, Maximus. Maximus. Yeah, who plays Maximus? Like it feels like they're the only ones trying. Like I'll give Anson Mount that. Like he tried his ass off on this. There was just literally nothing to work with. Um, I didn't. I didn't hate his performance. I thought he gave it a pretty good one. Uh, I will say that, like, the teen drama The Runaways should not have better special effects than, like, something that came out in an IMAX. 
play. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's no way that old lace should look better than the entire moon base. You know, that, like, a faraway shot in CGI, you should be able to do well. You know? Um, oh, my God. There's just nothing. The, to me, what stood out was they had this crazy NASA base that was in the corner. And this, like, lady was like, oh, nothing. Like, what? The moon? And they're like, nothing can come from the moon. It's like, motherfucker, you're in the same universe as Thor. And, like, you should, <laughs> like, like this isn't, it's not a surprise that things come from space. You know, like, this, this <laughs> at this is point, a, this at is this a, point, it's years after the Chitauri invasion of New York. <laughs> this is a regular thing that happens to you. Like, like cool it. And also, I couldn't... It blew my mind. They were in literally, like, an abandoned warehouse with, like, three iMacs. That was this crazy... <laughs> this is, this is like, this underground, super advanced NASA, like, station. And they had, like, three iMacs that are just, like... Dude, can I get on the computer? Because I gotta like look something up on Google. It's like, no, this is my computer time, dude. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? What, like, come on. Um, this show was genuine, genuinely terrible. Like it, it hurt to watch. And irredeemable. And and the the one thing that stood out for me, and if you go back and rewatch it now for some godforsaken reason, because we're all telling you not to do it, uh, I would like to take a little bit of history in context. That so we just talked about the Runaways having this great cliffhanger, and like I genuine genuinely wanted to find what happens next in the show, right? Like I I want to see season two. Not that Runaways 1 was, like, that great, but it's, like, they left it at a very cool spot. Um, I would say this about Inhumans. They did the same frickin' ending to Thor Ragnarok, and they did it... Like, this blows my mind, just, like, on the incompetence that they put the season finale of Inhumans on the day that Thor Ragnarok premiered. You think you just push it back by one week to let every one of the Marvel fans go see Thor Ragnarok at, you know, 8 o'clock on a Friday evening and then put your finale maybe next week. And the crazy part for me was not only the scheduling, but they did the same freaking ending where, like, there's a bigger bad and that uh, Adelan isn't a set of of it's not a place it's the people which is literally the ending to thor ragnarok where they're like no thor uh, like uh, like uh what's it called asgard is it's not it's not a place it's the people and then they fly away and all of a sudden there's some bigger bad that shows up to like you know hint at whatever's coming next it's literally the same ending and it premiered on the same day and it's the same studio. Like, how does that not get commute? Like the incompetence is mind blowing on this movie. Yeah. 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 And there's even bigger travesties going on, even in the first two episodes. Like if taking away Medusa's powers is terrible, what they do to Karnak is unacceptable oh my God. on so many levels. Oh my Cause he God. actually has one of the coolest powers of like, kind of, perceiving what's about to happen next. And I thought they actually did a really cool job of showing that. Uh, That's probably the best effect they had in the show. And then he trips and falls, hits his head. Where are my powers? (laughs) Fuck that shit. And Ian Rowan. No way. (laughs) 
Ian Rowan is they basically depowered literally everyone. It was just a bunch yeah. of dudes hanging out in Hawaii. That's all the show was. God, I'm yeah. getting so angry. Yeah, and it, I mean, Blackpool is the one that's supposed to be the one that can't that because of how immense his power is, he has to hold himself back and show that control and that discipline. Whereas everybody else, use your powers. Nope, we're just going to take them away from everybody. Fuck everybody. And, then, uh, and Ian Rowan is completely wasted, he, and he's a fantastic actor. They like, hey, I liked Ramsey Bolton. Do that Ramsey Bolton thing. We'll just make you a little bit more sympathetic. And it doesn't play off really well. He comes off as just like, um, I don't want to be on this show type of <laughs> thing. But we've seen him on Game of Thrones. He's fantastic. If you ever want to see him in more of a uh, dynamic character or less villainy role, watch uh, BBC's Misfits. He's so awesome good. in the first two so seasons of that. Good. Yeah, that's the first time I ever saw him, and I thought he was amazing in that. I was super yeah. excited to see him in Game of Thrones after that because yeah. I sat there, was like he like, he's doing some crazy like, things. It's my dude. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so good. And then he yeah. turned on everybody. So whoops. The um the the way they handled the characterizations was really bad in this show. Um, like, like for all the reasons you guys mentioned. Now, when it comes to a lot of these Marvel like MCU shows and the TV shows. I'm not a purist. I don't need things to be exactly how they were in the comic, as long as you're changing them for a good reason. And that tends to be the case with the movies. Um, with this show, they changed a couple of things. Like you mentioned Karnak, who has the ability, his his power is that he sees the flaw in, every, in everything. He can look at a plan, he can look at someone's attack strategy mid-combat, um, and he can see what they're, how, how to exploit their weaknesses. Um, in the comics, that's not a power. In the comics... He never goes through pterogenesis, which is the process that humans go through to awaken their abilities, because his brother, Triton, goes through it and becomes a fish monster that can't breathe air. And his parents say, nope, fuck that. We don't want our kids going through it. And so Karnak spends the rest of his life just training his body and mind to be uh, able to fight alongside his cousins and the royal family. Like That's an interesting plot point about his character. They switched it in this show. Oh, they made it so that he went through pterogenesis and he got mind powers. And now he can do a sort of bullet time thing where... He not even bullet time, but he'll act out a scene and then it'll freeze and he'll walk through it. And you're seeing that he's just processing things extremely quickly in his mind and sort of thinking about the best ways to change his body or change how he's approached the situation to reach ultimate success. But again, like you said, Brylan, he bumps his head on a rock and loses his ability to use that power. So what was the point of it in the first place? Then you have Maximus, who's a super complex and interesting character in the comics. He's Black Bolt's brother. His um, process of going through pterogenesis made him a bit crazy. They call him Maximus the Mad because he's not—he's—he's he's very aware, but he's just a little loony. Um, yeah, and, his and they kind of make it out like he kind of came out with no powers, and he doesn't know why. Yeah, in the comics, he has powers, and his power is mind manipulation. He can control people's minds. Um, that scene in the show where he shaves Medusa's head happens in the original comics. Only he mind controls Medusa and forces her to relax her hair so that he can shave her. And it's a much it's a it's a much more well executed scene as opposed to him just grabbing her and taking a clipper to her hair. Um, but in the show, he's just he goes to Terragenesis and it doesn't do anything. And everybody makes fun of him for being just a human. And that makes him mad. And so he he usurps the throne later on to show that you can do anything even if, you, even if you're just a human. And it was just corny and lame. And I there was no there wasn't a big enough payoff in his character development to have warranted that when he's got so much good development in the, co in the core materials already. Um, it was just pointless, and I didn't understand it. 
Um, I understand why they made that choice. And like you said, Brylin, it sucks because Ewan Rowan is a good actor and he deserved better. Like, I was super excited when he was cast for Maximus the Mad. They didn't make him mad. And they just had him act like a, like, like you said, like an, a less, um, like, like a less dick choppy Ramsey Bolton. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> like, he, was a, he was a PG rated Ramsey. He was, yeah. Ramsey was, was closer to what Maximus the Mad was, is like in the comics. Um, yeah. he's, Maximus isn't as brutal, but he's a, he's like a loony. He's got a little, a screw loose. Um, and that didn't come across at all. Instead, he was just some whiny character who was mad he didn't get powers, and that's why he turns on his entire civilization and casts his family out out um, to Hawaii, yeah. where they have to regroup and learn the meaning of family before coming back. Um, it was just bad, man. Scott Buck fucking ruined one of my favorite franchises. Not only just one of my favorite franchises, but also one of the franchises that has so much potential to be played with in TVs and movies. Yeah, and plus because they're about to introduce Captain Marvel to the universe. They could have done so much to tie that in together. Well, the hard yeah. part the hard part is the Fox acquisition because in he, the Inhumans are dead. Like the Inhumans show failed and you know, eventually Agents of Shield will go off the air and that is the last you're going to hear about the Inhumans and they're going to introduce the mutants and that's going to be the end of it. It's a real shame. Um, well, hopefully and, down the road they can do the cinematic Inhumans that we deserve. They probably it's funny. <laughs> it's funny, Blewett, that you mention Ages of Shield because the concept of Inhumans was introduced in Ages of Shield season two, I want to say, um, and it's been a core yeah. part of their storyline every season since then. They did a really good job of building out the notion of what Inhumans are and yeah. what the Inhumans that are still on Earth are like. And in the comic books, the Inhuman colonies that are on Earth are very different than the royal family that's on the moon. And they set up the Earthbound Inhumans so well. And this show does absolutely nothing to connect it to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. whatsoever. Makes no reference to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Inhuman other than the fact that when the show opens up, Triton is on Earth trying to rescue an Inhuman girl who's being chased by by some like by some bad guys with who guns. Cares? We never really find out who, who they are. Or why. And then, like, she gets, like, he gets shot and falls off a cliff, and then they never reference the girl again. They never reference any of the other humans on Earth again. No, they do and have the just... fat Hawaiian dude. Oh, yeah. You can, like, melt like, stuff. Yeah, like Tiki Hot Hands, whatever his yeah, name was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, yeah, so there's, like, one other inhuman that they show, and he's just there to, like, talk to Black Bolt for a little bit, and then he becomes useless in the show. But it's, like, you spent four seasons on one of the biggest ABC um, Marvel shows setting up Inhumans. And when you do another ABC show that's just about Inhumans, you're not going to do anything to connect any of it to it whatsoever. Like, aside from two really short references that are ineffectual to the plot. Like, why? Why, why is there a desire to create overlapping narratives? We've seen the success that the, the MCU movies have had on it, had with it. And, and we've the seen Netflix the success shows. that Netflix has had with it. So why the fuck would they not even try that when it's a, when all the groundwork is laid? It seemed like the show was really rushed and it almost seemed like it was done out of spite. Like Jeff Loeb took it from Mar from, from Kevin Feige when he got kicked out of the movies onto TV and brought the property with him to TV and then just made something for the sake of making it and gave us the TV equivalent of Thor, the dark world, just the shittiest fucking Marvel thing that we've seen on TV. No, ever. Makes me miss, uh, that's, that's underselling Thor, the dark world. Because this is worse. <laughs> this is it. Is it really is just the bottom of the of the of the ladder, and like yeah, people, I really miss Peggy Carter because of this. Yeah, that's that, why that got canceled was for this. Oh man, yeah. it's so 
it's shameful. It really is. It's a waste of a great property. Um, and I will never, ever forgive Scott Buck. Ever. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about something better. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna take a couple of deep breaths and try to like even out my blood pressure. Center In the center. meantime, let's talk a little bit about Agents of Shield since we've already chatted about it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if all of us have seen it, but um, this this last year, Agents of Shield season five started. Yeah. We're only halfway through the season so far, but I think there's enough there for us to talk about. Um, so, Blue, what are your thoughts on what you've seen so far? Yeah, so we're doing it at a good time because it ended the pod. Like they've did, been doing these like pods. You know, instead of like full oh, season, okay. uh, and so we're right. We're staring down the uh, the barrel of the next section of this season, which I think was the smartest thing they've done last year. Um, which I know we touched about in our uh, finale from last season. Really good. Uh, I felt that they were gonna have a very hard time tying into. Well, they had no tie into Thor Ragnarok. I thought they were gonna have a very hard time tying into uh, Black Panther, and then later on in the season, tying into Infinity War. Um, and what they did was they took an alternate timeline also in the future, uh, which makes sense because Black Panther, as, yeah, as, as we found out, Black Panther takes place in 2016, um, so they didn't have to talk about it at all. Uh, obviously, us as the movie going on is had no idea. Um, but they it's funny because they open up and they see earth broken apart and i was like damn thanos messed that place up and then you know like they they probably could have gone that route but they didn't and they have this very interesting storyline of how the earth becomes this way um and like what they're doing in the future including a character that they brought back from what was it season three or four with robin oh yeah that was season I think it was season four. three. I thought that was earlier in the season. I thought that was earlier, but yeah, earlier. Season. Oh yeah, yeah. So season three. I, think. I thought it, I thought it was three. Oh no, it was four because that's when um Malik was in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. They bring back some like arbitrary character from a prior season and make them like a mainstay on it. Um, I think it was cool. They had a budget Bradley Cooper's Star Lord, who was an interesting <laughs> character. Deke. That's all I could think with with that person. The other thing, so I, if you want general thoughts, I really like this season. It's doing a lot of cool things for me. Um, so one of the things I really liked is the, you know, Kasaias' like battle, inward battle against like his family. I will say this, I think the coolest thing, and to go back to what I was talking about earlier in the runaway, the runaways, um, Sonora, Kasaias' personal bodyguard, might have the coolest theme song I've heard in a long time. Like really bad. Like Killmonger had a good one, but honestly, Sonora's like every time she was on screen, they would do that weird like octave distorted cello part. It was just the freaking coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's like the the music. Every time she shows up, you expect someone to get their ass kicked because the music becomes so so intense. And it's, usually, she does kick someone's ass. It's, but it's so just good. A, yeah, it's doesn't Bill really McCreary do the music for Agents of Shield? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't look it up, but it's, it's let's go with the, let's go with yes. He is okay, one of the best TV composers out there. It's one of the first. Uh, so we have the, this concept called a light motif, where basically every time you see a character, you hear the music that goes with it. The obvious example is Darth Vader with a dun dun da 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 da. And so usually in TV, you get like the forgetting Sarah Marshall uh, type scoring, 
where it's just, you know, like, what was it, like, dark and dreary or something? Dark and ominous. Whatever the line from that movie is. Dark, dark and ominous tones. Yeah, oh. and you just you just hear, like, like, like chords kind of going back and forth, and you, you never really get, like, this is a theme for this character, which, again, I shouted out in The Runaway is that when you, whenever you saw that one character, you'd get that weird theme that went along with it. It was the same thing. You hardly ever see in TV an individualized theme for that character, but Sonora got one, and it is freaking awesome. And, like, there's no way that will ever get a, like, a separate, like, release on it, you know, but I, I'd love to have that that song on my iPod. For yeah, the record, Bear McCreary is the composer for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Sick. Awesome. It's a good shout theme. out to Bear McCreary. Yeah, shout-outs. Uh, come on the show. Friend of the show. Yeah, I, um, one thing that I like about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, it start. It had a rough start. I didn't want to watch Agents of Shield when it first came on season one, and a friend told me, "Hey, just watch. Just get through the first thirteen episodes. The first thirteen episodes are really bad, and then it gets cool." And I was like, "That is one hell of a commitment. Like having <laughs> to watch thirteen trash hours to maybe see a cool show." But it was really worth it. The show did get better from episode fourteen on, and every season since they stepped up their game and made the, sh- the character and developed the characters more and made their show more um, more enjoyable. But what I like most about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that it continues season after season to take way more narrative risks than any other Marvel show out there. Um, They have a lot of big ideas that they just go for, um, whether it's space travel, whether it's introducing whole new alien cultures on Earth. Um, And they did exactly that with this season. This season is all about time travel. Um, You know, the crew gets hurled into the future and find that, that that the Earth is destroyed, as you mentioned. And they find out that that Daisy, a.k.a. Quake, the main character from uh, from the show, is the cause of it. That at some point in the future, she loses control of her powers, quakes Maybe. the Earth apart. Well, it yeah, allegedly. Confirmed. Alleg- allegedly. 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 Quakes the world apart and destroy and kills most of humanity and leaves it leaves them ripe for the Kree to come along and uh, pick up the rest of humanity and enslave them. Um, and that's what the show, you know, the whole season is about. It's about a helping the remnants of humanity fight back against their Kree oppressors. And B, it's about getting back in time and trying to figure out a way to stop what has happened. But as we go, as we get closer to the end of this season, we have this really haunting and like really creepy scene where Yo-Yo, one of the fan favorite characters and Inhuman, comes across herself in that future. And she's a prisoner of the Kree and has had, had both of her arms amputated off and she is completely broken in spirit and has completely given up on the possibility of, of them being able to fix the, situ- the situation. And Yo- the, our present-day Yo-Yo asks her, like, why like why did you give up? And she said, because I was where you were. Like, I, I thought that we could change this. And I still got to the same point where I had this conversation with me right now. And we went back and it, you can't stop time from uh, destiny from happening. And I wound up here anyway. And it's this really, really sad scene where... You see the most spirited and the most um, the the character who most believes that they can change their future, having a conversation with a broken version of herself who's already gone through this loop. And would you say that like, destiny still arrives? Um, destiny still arrives. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's the thing. Like it's about it's they're dealing with these tones of what is what does destiny mean? Um, how is it possible to change the future? Is it possible to change the future? And 
do, how do you go on when you know how things are going to turn out, like how things are going to turn out? And we've played around with this idea in Agents of Shield season four, where where Daisy gets a vision of the future um, and spends several episodes training to relive that exact moment so that when that moment comes, they can save the person they're trying to save and they still fail. And they sort of cemented that idea last season. You can't change how the future unfolds. So I'm really excited to see when the mid-season um, uh, break ends and they return to the show, um, how they actually deal with this potential future once they get back to their proper timeline. Well, one thing I'd like to say, just it, you raise an interesting point. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen an actor or an actress grow up in front of my eyes, but Chloe Bennett was god-awful season one. Like, she was terrible and now like i'd love to see her in a movie Mm -hmm. because i think she can legitimately her and her stunt people can legitimately hang with like the bigger talents in the mcu i think that she wouldn't be obviously outclassed if she was like the leader of shield when shield comes back you know maybe in the movies like uh that i think what cemented it for me was that one-shot fight scene they did at the end of, I think, season three? She, they Which did one a, was she fighting against? She did, ah, I forget, it was a takedown scene, but they did a, a one-shot, like, you know, one oh. camera, and so, and they did the whole That's thing. That's the scene I was talking about that she had trained for. She spends a couple episodes training for this moment, and then yeah. when they raid the building, it's all one-shot. Yeah, and, and legitimate. I mean, she's she's also has the dramatic pose to it, where she didn't have season one. But, like, there's... I've never seen this before. I've never seen, like, an uh, actor or actress suck. Like, she was terrible. She was absolutely the weakest link of that show, uh, season one. And I remember being like, why are we getting this... Why are we getting this terrible storyline pushed on us, like Sky? You're like, oh, get, just tell me anything else. And then, all of a sudden, like... Yeah, it must have been season three when she goes through the whole mom thing. She, like, turned into a very good actress and a very, comp- very, very competent fighter. Like, I, I, yeah. she's very good in those fight scenes. Uh, Agents she, of S.H.I.E.L.D. What's interesting is, like, she's one of the reasons why I stopped watching. Because yeah. I was starting to watch last season. And I was loving Robbie Reyes. I gl- I was happy they chose Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider. He was badass. That was so great. But Chloe was just like so flat and just, I mean, just lifeless in those scenes with him. And I was like, what are you doing? And you had this like huge arc with your mother and everything the pri- prior season. And, like, your two boyfriends that you love just died in space and stuff. And you're just acting like you're in a paper bag or something at the beginning of last season. And, I mean, granted, from what y'all told me, it does get better, uh, which makes me interested to watch it again. But, I mean, she's no it, she, was, well, she I, was one of the reasons why I gave up on Agents of Shield. She's no Meryl Streep, but she's a lot better. Well, I think they did something very interesting and very smart, especially in this season, different than the other ones, is although the actual storyline like resolves revolves around her character, um, she does very much plays much more of a supporting or kind of a side character. And she does have like her highlighted moments uh, in this season now, whereas the other seasons, it was 
it, it, I felt like season one and two was like all on her, right? And I think this goes to your point, Blewett, of once they started moving a, a bit away from her and she can like practice and kind of get better and we see her in like only every other episode or she's not the main focal point and like other stuff was happening, she was still a supporting and you can still see her help things out. It made it way more enjoyable to watch, especially in this season. Like there's a whole um, – in this season, we're focusing on like this mystery of like, well, what happened? Time travel. There's so much stuff to focus on of uh, what's going on right now. Although we think it may be her, we also get this Flint storyline. We also get this Cassius. We get all these other things that she's just like an actual uh, a character, like a piece of the chessboard. And I think is interesting because when she does come on screen. It's awesome. We, we like to see her. She's arguably, she's gotten better exactly all the things that uh, Blue has been talking about. And I think you will like that portion of it, Brylin, because much like the last season, once you take her out just a little bit and she's now more of a supporting and then when she needs to be a main character for an episode or two, she can be, but does it have to always revolve around her, you know? Yeah. yeah I think that... I would say I, the other thing... Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, just the other thing that... I wish they would do again is I want to see a real agents of shield department Um, for multiple seasons. This has not been agents of shield. It's been Colson and company saying they're shield, but just they're more than just ragtag band, which can be cool and fun. But some of the neat things about agents of shield is kind of like this men in black style. Like this is a government agency dealing with, um, exceptional beings and superheroes and how do they interact with them or how do they take care of that on more of a uh, everyday human level and I would like to see more of that put in back into it. But Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't a task force, it's a people. It was in our hearts all along. <laughs> we well, are all Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> we are all Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I do hear you on that, but it's part of the storyline as well, right? At the end of Civil War, or rather not Civil War, um, Winter Soldier in the MCU, um, yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. was disbanded. Triskelion's gone. Yeah, and then they, they spend that following season in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. dealing with that 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 blowout of you know what it means when S.H.I.E.L.D. is revealed to the world as like being like corrupted by HYDRA. And they try to rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D. and actually reintroduce themselves to the world in Season 4, probably after you stop watching and that gets blown back in their face by the end of it, and they go back on the run. So it's sort of it's part of the the failings of Shield as an organization is one of the overarching themes that's like woven into the story season after season. Um, and I agree, like some of, sometimes the acting leaves a little bit to be desired because it's at the end of the day it's TV and it's ABC of all places. Um, but I will say that Agents of Shield, that's a show, is a real testament to what good character development can do for a story over time. Um, every character in this show, aside from Daisy, who starts off as Sky and then gets an awesome reveal as her being Daisy Johnson, who's like a, a like an important character from the comics, to her being an Inhumanist Quake, um, Coulson going from being Agent of Shield to the head of the Reform Shield, um, and back to being an, like a nobody agent again, like what that looks like for him, um, the the scientist characters Fitz and Simmons, um, Yo Yo going from somebody who was very uninterested in joining the secret yeah. warriors because she wanted to use her powers to help people in her country of Colombia, I believe. Um, and then realizing the greater mission and becoming one of like the, the most staunch um, servants of shield later on, like every season, these characters develop in really interesting ways. 
and it creates this sort of overarching um this overarching quilt um that makes for like really interesting interesting takes later on um and this is something that we don't see yeah and it's and you mentioned Mac and May also have some really, really good strides too. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's like it's uh, like especially those particular characters, especially one episode in entirely. Um, they really kind of focus on that. And uh, even from last uh, season, Mac's character really went through a lot of like losing his daughter, then getting his daughter, then now losing his daughter again. So it's oh, an interesting sort of uh, comparison. Have, he really has the struggle of parenthood with him yeah, and his good. daughter from the last one and then him well, and Flint in this one. Like well that even, is even a before huge the Flint for him. Even yeah. before the Flint, when they found out that the the resource that was being like smuggled one is like was a baby, you know, like that Yeah. That was a cool was, reveal. That was yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Ming Na blows my mind. She's like fifties or fifties and she still can kick ass. She's so, yeah. she's she's Mulan. She keeps it's it awesome. Ming Ming Na is fantastic in the show. She is she's the cavalry. She kicks ass and her she started the series off being just as cold as ice, uninterested in being a part of Shield or returning to Shield, let alone being friends with anybody. And she's really opened up as a character in terms of her relationships, and as well as our knowledge of what she went, she's gone through in the past. Um, like you said, Mac has had a lot of really, really solid development. Um, poor Fitz and Simmons, who have the unfortunate task of being the target of all of the writers, like like worst. It's just <laughs> like, like how can we torture them this season? Yeah, they're just two kids in love, and every season the writers just get in a room and say, "Okay, how can we ruin their lives this season?" Um, but it, it you know, kiss. <laughs> but yeah, they put them in a submarine. Why? They just like they do a really good job of character development. And after five seasons, everyone is in a different spot than when they were in the first season, and it's all for the better. The journey that each one has gone on individually is, in some cases, more dynamic than the show. It's than like the main plot lines of the show, um, and it's I like it, and it's it's unfortunate because every season the the live ratings for Ages of Shield go down a bit more and a bit more, um, and I feel like it's going to get canceled ahead of its time, even though it, the show itself is getting better and better with every season. I hope that season five doesn't wind up being the last season because um, I think that this is honestly one of the more consistently good Marvel uh, products that we have outside of Netflix um, today. Um, just a couple things. I just want to do a couple other wins, uh, like literally like three uh, for the show before we move on. Uh, the the opening episode was phenomenal, um, and, and, a, and a few different parts really because the name of that song was called uh, "This Must Be the Place." The, this must oh, be the, the place. Yeah, heads. by Talking Heads. Yeah, super chill. You see Enox kind of swimming. You don't think anything too much of it. So it's like, oh, it's cool. it's cool. It's kind of whatever. And then he goes, takes off his skin. You see him shower. You're like, oh, what is this? You see him switch the actual truck itself. And then they end up going to pick up um, all the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And like oh, a bunch of other stuff started. And then the actual episode itself with the people that we know is this huge mystery. Everybody's like transported all over the place. So nobody knows where uh, Fitz is. And it really sets up with. Uh, one of the great, I think this must be like one of the best sci-fi tropes that I like of, oh, yeah, I've been like, I'm your biggest fan. I'm going to tell you all that's happening and the time skip dies immediately. And then they have to kind of figure out what happens. I, I, I thought that was great because, A, I'm like, they, they know that they can still make fun of themselves. The reason that Mac has a shotgun axe, come on. 
when they when they introduced that some years ago, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Now I think it's hilarious. I'm like, yes. The yes, shotgun dex is like the best ongoing joke they have Absolutely. because it's so silly, but it's so cool. Uh, it really is bad. It continually proves like, its point too. Where like they're like shotgun axe, that's dumb, and then he does something cool with it, and like, yeah, that makes sense. He like, killed Kasai. <laughs> he killed he kills Kasai's with it, and then Flint's like, really? I don't I don't get why you have it. Kills this people. Oh, okay. And it's scene cool. that looks really fake too, because there's no reason why that that shotgun axe should have pierced his whole body like that. No, because yeah, while it. part of it's he an axe, he flips it. He flips the axe upside it's down. So it's, a, it's a shotgun bayonet. Oh yeah, and that's understandable. But at that point, the that pointed axe part should go through, not the barrel of the shotgun, which does go through in the scene. But that's fine because it was still hilarious and badass. It's hilarious. I, loved, I absolutely it's, loved it. But it's like these things now that when when they it, when they introduced the, like this character, he was a, a bit of the side character, and I like how a lot of these side characters has come into the limelight and much like Mocha was talking about, their character growth is awesome. It's amazing. And you've seen so much of Mac, right? And and now Mac and Yo-Yo's uh, interesting sort of like a relationship that's happening, which is awesome that you see that on screen of who they are as people. And then they have a chance to kind of step out and be a bit of the comic relief of like what's going on. And they can literally make fun of themselves as they're doing it. And the fact that he also speaks Spanish to her and they subtitled that, I thought that was pretty cool. I'm like just a small, small tidbits. Um, I thought that was fun. And it's nice to actually have fun with the show. Yes, it's to have a lot of it's very, very heavy on the sci-fi tropes. Yes, it's going to be corny. Yes, there's going to be some really bad puns at some times. But they still give you a bunch of information, and it's still super, super nice to to see a show that at least given let's doing something that's definitely better than Inhumans, you know. And speaking of Inhumans again, you know, Age of the Shield proves season after season that they can handle that content better. Um, Flint, the the Geomancer from this season, is one of the Inhumans that was created by Charles Soule, a great comic book writer for Marvel um, during the Infinity event. And he on the show is an amazing adaptation of the comic book character. The actor looks exactly like him. He his powers interact the same way. You have that vibe of a troubled kid who's trying to figure out what to do with these new alien powers of his. And it's a perfect representation of what that character was in the comics without dumbing it down or going out of their way to change the core aspects of him for no reason whatsoever. It's just a really authentic representation of a really cool human from the comics. And I absolutely love the fact that they brought him into the TV show and I hope they find a way to make him stick around. But yeah. All right. So we've had a lot of nice things to say about Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, but I feel like this next and last show that we're about to talk about is going to have a, a couple of good points to it itself. Um, so last, <laughs> last yeah. but not least, let us talk about the latest addition to the Netflix Marvel family. Um, I'm talking about the Punisher, everybody. Mr. Bernthal himself. John Bernthal screaming, it does something to me. (laughs) I can't explain what that is, but it's just like, I've never heard anybody like scream with that much pain and sorrow in their voice. And it's just like, God, you just put everything into this, didn't you? Because John Th- Bernthal is Frank Castle in yeah. this series. Absolutely. Uh, this show is phenomenal. Uh, this is probably my favorite show of last year. And it's probably my favorite Marvel Netflix show as well. 
And it's just and it does so many things right. It talks about something that's a lot of things that are very serious in life right now. Uh, The whole thing about PTSD. A lot of people hear it, but do they really know what that experience is like for people? And having family that's in the military, that family that has been affected by PTSD, it definitely hits very close to home for me to see uh, just how PTSD affects people totally different. You have it how it affects Frank Castle. And it's not going, it never does anything to actually um, justify his actions. It's more of like, this is how he is because of uh, just what he's been through and the loss of his family. Uh, But you also get the, I forget his name, but the young soldier that's always at the um, at the uh, meetings that ends up living in a hole in his backyard because he just can't leave the battlefield, and that's some real shit that actually happens to people that are being that are suffering through that. Lewis um, is the name of the uh, soldier. Lewis. Yeah, it also does. I mean, it also introduces. I mean, the Marvel Netflix villains really good. Billy is a really awesome villain in this uh, series. Um, and it's amazing because he is a pretty boy that's uh, who is a dick in Westworld, but <laughs> he's even a bigger dick in this one, but also wow, a very charming. That's who he was. Oh yeah, my he's god. Yeah, he's such a great villain. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I never. But he's also, he has this charm, <laughs> and you're like, I can see where people can actually gravitate towards what this guy wants to do. Uh, but at the, at the very end, when he starts to unveil, like, why he's doing these things, it's so perfect how they play that off. And, man, do they let Frank Castle be Frank Castle in this show. Uh, him taking a hammer to a dude's face or him beating a wall with a hammer is just violent and just raw Love and that. brutal. What, what about him um, going full mountain on him? Yeah, or CIA, which is a yeah, yeah, or yeah, or just like having a big machine gun just shooting up a small room, Uh, or how he makes Billy into Jigsaw and just like that full face rip across the glass. That was oh man, that oh that was such a cringeworthy moment. Yeah, and that's the thing is the brutality is not there to entertain; it's there to be like shock you. And this show definitely hits you to the core. It's not made to have fun or laughs or anything. It's like, this is serious shit. And we want to treat it like serious shit as well. This is also, I would say, the first Marvel Netflix show that doesn't have like that filler episode. Every single episode has some importance to the bigger picture here. And every single episode, watching it after another, it fully blends together and makes for a complete story, which I was like, finally, Netflix, you don't have a filler episode this time. That's awesome. I'm glad you did that. Uh, they also have a great side character in Microchip. Uh, this guy, um, I forget the actor's name, but um, he was great. I thought like his, what he's going through is another version of just like having to do things you don't want to do, but you have to do them because it's the right thing to do. And a lot of the characters in this are doing things because of it being right instead of it being good. 
and what microchip goes through, I find just as harrowing as uh, what Frank Castle goes through as well, because he sees his family constantly every single day, but he can't be with them at all. And I would say, even though there might be this weird thing that's going on with Frank and microchip and his wife, little cuckish that happens, but uh, that might make people think it's kind of weird, but it makes sense in the picture of the story. Yeah, this show, this, this, this show more than any other Netflix show, and I feel like this is a pretty bold statement considering the shows that came before it, but this show more than anything is a, it's a real big important focus on what it means to be a, like a specific person. Um, this show is about who Frank Castle is and how he goes on living with his life being that person. This show is about Micro um, and who he is deep inside as a father and as a husband um, and how like, how far he's willing to go to change those core aspects of himself to keep the people he loves safe. Um, this show is about Billy and what does it like? Is someone really evil for, or necessarily evil for taking the skills that they learned in war and using it to make a, a living for themselves? Um, like Billy is an asshole, and that gets revealed later on that he's a shitty person. But the first half of that show, you don't really have a reason to think that he is, other than the fact that he's smarmy and super full of himself. Um, I also go into this, this show. I knew about Jigsaw, but I didn't know Jigsaw's character's um, like actual name, and I expected Jigsaw to come out by the second like be revealed in the like midway through the the series because most marvel netflix shows have a very clear two acts to them um and at the end of this by the time we got to the end of the show i was like oh i guess jigsaw isn't making an appearance this this season i guess i'll save it for next season billy's cool enough and then at the end when frank chooses not to kill him and instead smashes his head into that funhouse mirror and drags it across completely destroying his face i was like oh my god he's jigsaw this show is jigsaw's origin story that's incredible and it reminded me of what i loved most about the first season of of daredevil which was it was an origin story about two people trying to save their city and going about two completely different ways of doing it it was an origin story for a hero and an origin story for a villain and this show was about it was about that. It was about the Punisher becoming more of a hero as opposed to just someone who is mad about like vengeance. And it was about Billy Russo becoming truly becoming the villain that is Jigsaw. And I can't wait to see what they do with the rest of this series moving forward. Yeah. You also have some great side characters with uh, Amber Rose Riva as Dina. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought she was fantastic as the government agent that just gets caught up in all the mess. Um, she also has some, she's also beautiful, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, and uh, she has some amazing healing powers too, which, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which um, I mean, you, it might be a little bit of a stretch getting shot in the head, but it is something that people do recover. Well, Cat, no, Castle got shot in the head. So no, did she, she got she, shot in the head. She did. Like, everyone got it, shot in the head. Everyone really yeah. shot her in the head. Uh, yeah. I, do, I do love the 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 one shot. Uh, there was a still that I think I sent maybe you, Brylin, it was somebody who I was talking to. But there's a still right after Billy had kills Madani's partner that he goes to console her. And she's like, obviously, like very, very much shaken. She's in the bathtub club, covered with his uh, his her partner's blood. And he's like helping her out and like so evil. Wa- washing, like like wiping the blood down, like washing on her. It was like, oh, it's like get, uh, like consoling her, saying it's gonna be okay. And she's clearly like just distraught and broken. 
that was an absolute because I don't think there's actually any music there either. That was an absolutely gorgeous scene. It's a gorgeous shot, and I think that uh, there's a, so so many of these um, shots in this actual sort of show that I just thought it was very very good. Yeah, and it's also very disturbing because Billy is the guy that killed her partner, and there's mm-hmm. actually it's all in her at the same. Which was that was a, it, that was a great moment too. That ah, in that that reveal, he was like, "What the instantly." That moment was the moment where Billy tipped over into supervillain territory and he became irredeemable. Um, And it was such a, it was such a, like a heartbreaking way for it to happen because that guy, uh, I can't remember his name, that agent did not deserve that death. He was a great character. He was a good man. And it was just makes it more impactful. That's what makes it. That's, I think that's that point point where it makes it so impactful. It makes it so much better because they like didn't deserve it. Right. We thought he was going to live to the end and kind of figure things out. But no, you know, uh, casualties of war, like, well, I would say. I think the best thing uh, about the show was everything was gray. Like, it continued what Daredevil 2 started, where you could find valid motivations for every single character involved in this and then kind of root for them. Like, you know, you could root for you could root obviously for Frank Frank Castle, who's the main character of the damn show. You could find reasons that Billy was like trying to hold on to some sort of past life and trying to make a, a world for himself. He was this underdog orphan kid, you know, that had to sign up for the army to do anything in his life and founded this like huge corporation of uh, defense contract. It, you, that's a story you normally root for, coming from nothing, getting everything based on like your ability as a person. Um, I think the only person you couldn't root for was the guy who lost an eye, who I'm forgetting his name right now. But literally every single person you could root for and also find deep, deep character flaws in. You know, this isn't Captain America where his deepest, like, flaw is that he cares too much. You know, it's a, <laughs> like, you know, you're you're never going to root against Cap. Uh, maybe a little bit Iron Man, and that's what made Civil War so great. But, like, you, there's just, there was no one in Punisher that you could completely root for. And there was no one in Punisher that you could, besides the, like, the actual evil bastard, there was no one in Punisher that you could root completely against, too. Like, in that, sh- that scene where Punisher has uh, his friend, uh, who I'm forgetting his name, the, the Curtis. Yeah, Curtis. And then uh, Billy pinned down. You're like, ah, I don't want to see Billy die right here. Like, I don't. I, like, I, I really want him. I don't want him to be, like, sucker, you know, head popped at this point. Like, I want to see him get out, and I want to see what he's going to do next. That was an awesome scene. Oh, it, it really was. It was great. It was the three of them just flexing, like the script, the acting, the the setting was amazing in that. Yeah, it was fantastic. And the character, the side characters were really developed. Even Karen Page, I think, had better development in this series than she yeah. had in any of her appearances in Daredevil. Um, seeing her really come into her own as a journalist and also as a like an independent, stronger woman who wasn't going to allow men to fill her heart with fear like they like they had in the past was really cool and i like was almost i pretty much cheered in my seat in the scene where lewis was holding her hostage in the in uh, the building and he had the suicide vest strapped to him and he was holding on to her and she had her purse next to her and rather than just playing the villain and waiting for frank to save her she reached into her bag and grabbed the gun that she had that she had in it 
and pointed it through the bag and shot him in the foot to get to give Frank an opening to get her to get away. And I was like, "Fuck yeah, Karen! Like you shoot him through your purse like it's like a badass." It was so cool. Well, they but had I the think that point, with, like the wires, like they were going back and forth the entire time. Like it was an equal partnership. Yeah, I think that that though, like, and I think you mentioned something like pretty good, uh, Mocha, was this performance that we see here really wouldn't have been anything if we didn't get those performances of how how weak she was as a character when we first see her in Daredevil, and now we've seen her in the other shows, and now she's just like this badass character who can hold her own. Um, that's a, a great sort of character growth, like through shows. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, but I thought that was actually kind of pretty cool. Uh, and that that you know, and well, even Claire, talking Claire about that Temple. moment, Claire Temple. Claire, yeah. she goes through the same thing where like she starts oh, yeah. off as yeah, that's very true. But that's- Claire was never a victim though. Claire was she always, was always she a always badass. had that fiery Latina blood. Yeah, she was Karen a was literally a victim, like a shaky yeah. in the rain victim. And has come, I think, further than Claire has. It's even though I like her, Claire better. That was that was her swan song, though. I feel bad for Karen. That was this is song? my fat song. Oh, swan song. Not Take yeah. back my life song. Based on um, the likely storyline for Daredevil three. Uh, well, I would say, I would even say, um, Bradley. You mentioned his name, but the guy who was living out of his uh, or mo- uh, Michael, you mentioned Lewis. 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 Oh, Lewis. That Lewis. was a heart heartbreaking scene. Um, Lewis was such a sad, sad character. Absolutely, that was that was, I think, arguably one of the saddest characters I think we've ever been introduced in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe or TV, whatever you can think of that slaps Marvel name on it, because he was literally he, he that's all he knew. Um, yeah. it was very hard. He's like he's because, like eighteen. Year yeah, old kid. very very young, and a lot of these things, much like Byron was talking about, like what happens when you're out of the war, and there's nothing for you, there's no support for you. Even that scene with his father, and his father was trying to connect to him, and his father was trying to do stuff, and uh, you can tell that he just wasn't getting by, but he was also kind of playing. He just had killed somebody at that time, like he literally just killed somebody and he, and you can see him, like, it's an amazing performance in the fact that he like kills himself with the bomb to think that that's the best way to kind of go out. Um, Cause that's all, that's all that he knows. It, it was very heartbreaking. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm kind of glad that they actually put that in it because it's, it gives, is a starch, like it's a huge transition. It's a huge difference between any other villains, right. In the other characters that we've seen from before, because in the end he wasn't, a villain he was just um one of the things about that character that just broke my heart and there were so many moments like lewis was such a lovable character despite him having been so deeply troubled was when he wakes up from that fever flashback dream that he's having and he like wakes up and in a panic grabs his gun and just shoots out like shoots in the distance because he thinks that he's back in the war and he realizes that he shot the wall right next to his father and like the first thing his father does is just run to him and holds him. And he says, like, I'm OK. I, you didn't hurt me. I'm fine. And he's freaking out. And it's such a powerful moment that you don't see in shows like this. Uh, you know, Black we talked about this in our Black Panther podcast as well. But Marvel is going out there and talking about the fact that we have these soldiers who have been in like the U.S. has been in, in war for 17 years with Afghanistan. And we're training these soldiers who are spending their whole lives over there doing nothing but fighting with no one in sight. And what does it mean when we bring them home? Because this world isn't their world anymore and we don't treat them like we want them. What happens to those people? And it's such a it's a really tender issue to talk about because it's real for so many people out there. And they were 
they did not pull any punches in the Punisher with showing just how raw and how difficult that process can be for even the most well-meaning people. That's great. It shows that any man could break. Doesn't matter who you are. Anyone can matter anyone can have that moment and you're just done. That's one of the great things that this movie this show does is that um when Frank Castle is the main character, the one thing that you have to take along with Frank Castle is you're not just following his story, you're following his demons as well. And a lot of times when they do like recalls or flashbacks or anything, it can become pretty monotonous and redundant and stuff. But every single time they had him dream about his wife or dream about his kids at the uh, merry-go-round, there was a purpose to it to make you remember Frank is a damaged person and Frank has troubles himself, but he's trying, he's a good, he's a guy that wants to make sure justice is served. Yeah. And one thing that's really important about uh, Frank Castle and also having his demons follow him is that even though you've seen that he was a loving father and he did his duty uh, and he's a loving husband, that scene where he's with Micro's son and Micro's son takes the knife to school and he talks to him about what a K-bar is and everything and puts it up to his throat. You're like, oh, shit. Uh, Frank is losing it right now. And then he realizes it, too. And then the next scene, you see him playing football and Micro, you even see like that moment so full of just like a lot of sorrow and just yearning to have normal lives again where even Micro's right around the corner saying, I want to see my son. I want to see my son. And Frank has to take the hard line with him. It's like, you need to get the hell out of here right now. Yeah. Or yes. Everything is shot. And it's just, it talks, I mean, it just shows how much this show has, just like Black Panther did, like a lot of different layers that are very important for to talk about for society, but also to make it a very engaging show at the same time. Yeah, it's um, it's very voyeuristic and in a way that makes you feel really comfortable, uncomfortable the entire time. Because these are really dark things that we know a lot of people go through. But as a society, we keep these things to ourselves and we deal with it in-house. But these are conversations that need to be had and stories that need to be told because it's far too common. And so many people are going through these exact same hardships completely alone and in the dark. Exactly what's happening, especially in South Florida um, with the actual shooting, too. Um, we see exactly, you know... Uh, they give a moment in which Frank Castle, like Frank Castle, is confronting the kid for bringing a weapon to school, right? And we we see that there are people hurting, and at least this show gives it gives it its all to at least kind of show this of like, hey, this is what we necessarily kind of this is us talking about it. This is us bringing in this conversation to the limelight so that people can talk about it. Um, I, I just think it's like very ballsy of Netflix and very ballsy of Marvel. Uh, we've we've definitely seen it in the um, grandiose scale of seeing it in the movies, but now it's nice to be able to see it in the TV and like in things that people like a lot more people potentially have access to. Uh, so it's it's definitely nice to, to talk about it, right? There's something called a mum effect, and we like deleting the mum effect from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You know, uh, we talked about a lot. There have been a lot of really great shows that have come out this uh, this past year from Marvel. Um, we talked about a few of them today. Um, and I feel like we've got a lot of potential in the stories that Marvel still has left to, to talk about. And with that in mind, I just want to go around really quick, get some final thoughts from everybody, as well as get a sense of what show you're looking forward to from Marvel in 2018. Uh, let's start with you, Bryland. 
Uh, yeah, so I would say for Netflix, what I'm most excited about is Daredevil Season 3. If they're doing Born Again, give it to me full stop. And I want to see everything that comes with that. Bring back Wilson Fisk, bigger and badder than ever. Let's see that happen. Um, can't wait to see the next Punisher series. Um, besides Netflix, uh, I'm really interested to check out um, what they're doing with Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. It's definitely geared towards more teenage aspect, but these are some of the two most unique characters you have in the Marvel Universe that have some of the most interesting powers, too. And I want to see how they actually blend that relationship those two have and also how they fit into the bigger picture as well great um blew it how about yourself jessica jones season two next one up it comes out in like a month from now jessica jones was my favorite of the phase one netflix shows and oh by far absolutely loved that show um Mm -hmm. and she is one of my favorite potty mouse on the planet and (laughs) i'm excited to see her back Awesome. Uh, Warren, final thoughts and what you're looking forward to seeing? Um, I don't know what shows are coming up because I uh, do no spoilers. So I don't know what's coming out this year. Uh, But hopefully if it's not Luke Cage, maybe Punisher Season 2 that comes out in December. I hear they're going to start shooting end of this month for Season 2. Nice pun. But I don't know. (laughs) That was a a terrible pun. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I don't know when it, it doesn't have a release date. I'd imagine I, that everything else is coming out first. Is Luke Cage coming back this year? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Luke, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones are confirmed for 2018, as well as Daredevil season three. And I think Iron, Iron Fist and Punisher two are still TBA. Yeah. Okay, I would say probably Luke Cage, uh, just because I was not a fan of Jessica Jones. I did like um, a lot of Daredevil to season one, season two should have been probably cut out five episodes, but whatever. Um, but I'm. It's just like Luke Cage also should have cut out five episodes, let's be real. Uh, but it's I, I'm interested to see where that show goes because it really, much like, you know, much like Black Panther, it, it gave us a, a, a bit more of a different look of, you know, a, per, uh, a you know, African-American, a black man in a hoodie that's bulletproof. That's that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And it's also really important because we do have these very big shows and movies that are talking about this representation we don't commonly see and these social issues we don't always put out in the forefront. How do you continue the conversation? What's the next step? Exactly. Yeah. Um, For me, as far as a final thought, I just think that aside from the obviously huge miss in Inhumans, um, fuck Scott Buck forever, 2017 showed us that Marvel's properties outside of Netflix hold a lot of potential. Um, And I'm super excited for what's coming out across the board in 2018. As far as what I'm most excited for, I'm definitely with you, Brylan. Cloak and Dagger Freeform completely has my attention now. Um, Until I saw Runaways, I assumed it would be bad. And after seeing how good Runaways could be, I am very excited to see what they do with these two characters who, as you mentioned, are not only super unique, but also have a really dark storyline, a dark origin story to them. Um, So I can't wait to see uh, what they do with those two characters. They're great. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us tonight. Um, We are the Down in Front Podcast. You can find out more about our work at downinfrontpodcast.com. Please check us out there. You have links to our Twitter, our Patreon, our Instagram, the whole shebang. Speaking of Patreon, if you love our voices, 
if you love our faces, consider checking us out and maybe donating any amount of money to us. We do this for free because we want to bring our love for film and TV to all of you out there in podcast land. Um, even if you can do- donate as much as 99 cents a month, it's still something that can help us continue to bring quality content to you guys week after week. Um, so give us some consideration. If not, at least rate and review us on iTunes um, because that actually does help out a lot. Um, Warren, why don't you tell us where we can find more of your work? Well, the price is on the can. So if you do, uh, you just, just like toss over an Arizona iced tea, uh, sweet tea version because I'm going to Florida tomorrow. Prices on the can. We have to make uh, that an actual tier, like nine nine cents. Price on the can on Patreon. It, it has yeah. to be that. I, you know, I absolutely will do that. Ninety nine cents. Price on the can. That is yes. the new tier. Arizona sponsor us. And if you do sign up for ninety nine cents, somehow I will figure out how to mail you your favorite flavor. Mm. Mm. If that lets me, if that's legal. Um, where can we find more of your work aside from um, the deli that sells Arizona? My work personally. Wow, that's the first. This is the first. Uh, you can find more of our work. Uh, I normally talk about a bunch of wines and I do a few other reviews. So check us out on, on Twitter at Friends with Blends, in which we just talk about different wines. And we also love Harry Potter. And I am known as the Hagrid Flagons on there. So that is a bunch of my work, as well as you can find me at Action J, A X T I O N J on Twitter, where I just retweet a lot of stuff and talk a lot. I drink wine a lot. Because wine. Great. Brylan, why don't you tell us a little bit about where we can find more of your work? Uh, yeah, you can find me flattening mountains with my whispers. Uh, I mean, way beyond what Piccolo can do to a mountain. It, I mean, think about what Piccolo does and multiply it by 100 on Twitter at Brylan, B R I L U N D. I'm also on Instagram, I am Brylan. I'll post many, many reviews up there. Uh, and I'm also usually when I'm not in California, I'm the host of the games cast, twitch.tv slash down from podcast, um, born and Abbott from fear boners are playing a lot of monster hunter right now. So definitely tune in when they are live and doing that too much monster hunter. I'm going to, I need to take a break. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Blew it. Tell us more about where we can find your creative potential. Oh, it's not potential. It's fully realized. Um, yes. <laughs> but we, there's no, there's no improvement. Uh, yeah, my news music or my news band, most major uh, platforms. Uh, I'm not even going to mention the EP that will eventually come out at some point. It's it's going to happen, whether it's in 2018, 2019, 2020. I don't know. We'll have a couple songs for you. It'll nice. be medi- mediocre at best, so don't don't hold your breath. Excellent. I really um, know how to hype my projects up. I was just like, yeah, to say you do. That. Gonna, you if do, you want to hire own, me, I'm going to do my own butt I, on that I can one. Be your, I can be your hype man, bro. I'm pretty good at it. And as always, you can find me, Mocha Mike, on Twitter, posting videos of myself throwing rocks at Warren's head at Mocha Mike LI, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me as at Mocha Mike because the person who owns that title. Um, is completely disappeared. I can't find him. All I found was his email address on a Scott Buck fan page website. Oh um, so, until, so I won't be able to use that name for a while, but until then, Mocha Mike LI. You can also find me on Instagram at Mocha Mike, where I post a lot of my photography work, and on medium.com at Mocha Mike, where I do some longer form write ups about the shows we talk about here on the podcast. I heard and Scott we... Buck's nickname is Mocha Mike. Oh, fuck Ooh. Scott Buck forever. I no. <laughs> 
Uh, don't you do that to me, Brylin. <laughs> triggered. Triggered. <laughs> and we are the Down in Front Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're really looking forward to bringing you some, some more content. We've got a review of Natalie Portman's Annihilation on the way, so keep an eye out for that. But until mm. then, um, stay classy and stay pretty. Bye, everybody. Right. I love you all. Dude, I heard that Jesse Rand's email address was Jesse Rand loves Scott Buck at ymail.com. <laughs>